and welcome to a special episode of the Rugby Bits podcast. And we've got um, a guest today to talk through the All Blacks and their preparations for the Rugby World Cup final. We've got um, our, our Radio New Zealand uh, host and uh, freelance journalist Jamie Wall with us. And he's going to be giving us a, a, a Kiwi perspective on what we can look for in our big rivals and I guess friends or frenemies, sometimes the All Blacks. Jamie, thanks so much for joining us. How would you characterize the relationship with the Springboks? Friends, frenemies, what, what's the, how would you characterize it? Well, g'day guys. Uh, firstly, thank you very much for having me on. I would con- I would consider it to be the most unique relationship, uh, considering how we got to where we are, I think. I don't need to tell you guys <laughs> about that. Uh, but I, I'd say that it's one of respect and it's one of the respects, one of those words that gets kind of used quite a lot in rugby. It's kind of lost a bit of its meaning, you know, just the way that the game likes to market itself as this kind of way of bashing each other up on the field and then having a beer afterwards. Uh, Like this is, this to me is the one rivalry, the one match, the one relationship that actually does embody everything that rugby tries to sell itself as in terms of like competition um, and then mutual respect um, off the field. Uh, so yeah, for me, it's uh, it's 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 great to play in South Africa. It was up to me. This would be the only matches that the All Blacks would play. <laughs> no, and then um, how are the feelings in in New Zealand? I mean, it's been a weird four year cycle. Um, obviously, with Ian Foster being um, under pressure the whole time, the All Blacks losing games that they that they don't usually do and you know just being a bit up and down and then there's been moments of almost like yeah where they just look devastatingly great like they've done now in the last few weeks so uh, how's the mood in uh, back home yeah it's a great question because it's definitely changed uh up and down this year you know like the all blacks had a great start to the year obviously great won the the rugby championship and locked away the blueslow cup and things were feeling great, you know, leading into the tournament and then ran into the Springboks and Twickenham and got their asses handed to them. And it was that was a real shock to the system and then dropped that first game to France. And so all of a sudden it was like, oh, right, yeah, that's the, the All Blacks we've got to know over the last couple of years. But now after that Irish result, I think that everyone's back in the belief of like, hey, we can win a World Cup, uh, which I don't think a lot of people were thinking was on the cards uh, really at the start of the year. So I think it's definitely a a, a, a confidence because of the, the All Blacks record, but at the same time, because it's the Springboks, you really don't know what's going to happen. You can, you you know, like I said, they're the greatest rivals. So yeah, it's, uh, it's a mood of let's just hope it's a good game, <laughs> perhaps. Jamie, interesting that you mentioned that Twickenham game. My my feeling on that game, it really, it's so weird. Like, I don't feel for a second that anyone wanted to lose that game. But there was a look about the All Blacks, even though it was a record defeat, this and that and whatnot. But for me, it, to me, like, just the look on the guys was like, cool, it didn't go away, but that's not the, the end of the world. Was was there chaos amongst all the fans when, when that went down? Or... Was there a feel of like it doesn't really matter because the World Cup is uh, is is a week away? You know, it's not going to influence that in any way. 
Oh no no that that defeat was taken very seriously. I, I was actually there. I was I was at Twickenham um, for that game, which was Ouch. I think about as clo- about as close as you could get to Alice Park without actually being there because I didn't actually realise how many South Africans were in the UK. But every single one of them was seemed to be at Twickenham that day, uh, and the fact that it was uh, the, you know the All Blacks' heaviest ever defeat. Um, it was it exposed some serious flaws uh, in the All Black game, uh, and it completely kind of wiped out all of the good feelings that have been built up over the course of the Rugby Championship uh, and um, the other Bledisloe Cup tests that they they played. So it was really very much felt like a, we're back at square one, and square one for this All Black group is 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 not a good place. Uh, so to see them have gone from that to where they were against Ireland. And I guess, you know, putting in a very All Black-like performance against the Pumas last last weekend in the semi-final just goes to show, you know, that, wow, okay, they actually have made some serious strides. So, and then going to that and going to, like, the last few weeks, what has changed? Is it just basically that the likes of Brody Retallick, um, Shannon Frizzell, Geordie Barrett have come back into the team? Yeah, I, I think those those additions to the roster have, have definitely made a difference. Also, I mean, I was listening to Steve Hansen on the radio this morning and he did sort of raise a few decent points because, of course, the All Blacks themselves are never going to make excuses for a loss, especially a record loss uh, like that. But, of course, you know, a lot of things didn't go go their way in that, in that Twickenham game. Obviously, there's a red card. Um, they were just getting pinged quite a lot for a lot of stuff that they weren't getting penalised for earlier in the season, which was taking them far too long to adjust to. Uh, and like you said, they were missing some key players. So, you know, if you if you weigh it up objectively, like, yeah, there were some reasons there. <clears throat> um, and I think that, yeah, like having Retallick back in the pack has made a, a big difference because uh, Whitelock is clearly like, you know, on his way um, to retirement. Scott Barrett's having an outstanding season. Um, and and to have Retallick in there to complement him has made a real really big difference, and also it's shown, like you said, Jordy Barrett as well, just how much of a key man he is um, in that backline because they need that straight running and also the variation of his uh, offloading game and also just his, his goal kicking ability as well. Like he's become uh, a really really important player um, for a guy who was sort of seen as the lesser one of the of the brothers. Um, they're all they all seem to be becoming about as as valuable as each other right now so i i think that those are probably the key the key things in my opinion yeah and i think it's interesting especially with those players and frizzell like how they become very key to the all blacks um i don't know resurgence if you want to call it since ellis park um it seems like basically the biggest changes that have happened i mean we can talk talk about the coaches as well with um, James Ryan and um, Joe Schmidt coming in, but um, changing the props with the Groot and uh, Lomax, um, having Shannon Frizzell turn into um, 2015 Jerome Kano the last few months. Um, Jordy's been great and offered that extra playmaking and kicking from from hand as well, which totally destroyed the Springboks in Mount Smart um, in July. And Bowden playing at fullback is actually, he's combined well with Richie Mwonga. Like it's now, it's not now an either or. It seems like both are working together. Like it feels like the, all of those changes have worked quite well for the All Blacks. 
Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the props uh, as well as talking about Geordie as well, because I think it's important to note that that, ha that happened far more by accident than design. Um, <laughs> uh, De Groot was actually dropped uh, at the at the start of um, the season and um, uh, uh, Lomax was, was still there as, as well. But um, it, it took a, a run of injuries for those two to actually become the starting, you know, the, the, the top props in, in the All Blacks. So they weren't really. It was a, it was more of a crisis that 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 got them in there, and Geordie Barrett was a fullback up until halfway through last year, and and Ian Foster was asked at the start of the year, is Geordie Barrett going to be played uh, in the midfield like he was for the Hurricanes? And he's playing very well for the Hurricanes in the midfield, and Ian Foster was unequivocally saying, no, he's a fullback. We've got our midfield sorted out. They hadn't because the the the. All Blacks midfield pairings since Conrad Smith and Ma Nonu left has been like a revolving door. And so uh, it took Quintupaya getting <clears throat> getting injured in that uh, Bledisloe Cup game in Melbourne last year. Uh, again, they had no one left, so they had to put Geordie there. Surprise, surprise, he's really good at 12, but any of us who watched the Hurricanes already knew that. Uh, so it is funny that you, you, you sort of pick out those key areas uh, when just for if had there been sort of a slightly uh, different turn of events, none of those guys might even be there uh, at all. So, you know, I, I don't know if you guys sort of had, knew that about the way that it was being selected. I mean, uh, it was, it, it is kind of, it does sort of play into the perception of um, the coaching style, or at least Foster anyway, as, as a selector rather than a coach, that there's still a bit of, there's still a fairly decent level of mistrust there. No, I mean, that's actually very good insight because I think uh, we just remember like, I mean, the likes of, you know, George Bauer and the blues props were being used, I think a lot more before that. And yeah, it also felt like, I mean, even with the um, having Bowden at 15, that obviously could happen because maybe Damien McKenzie was away in Japan for a year and, that opened up a door to try the sort of the dual playmaker thing at 10 and 15. So, yeah, I guess it is those sort of like happy mistakes that have like given an opportunity, even Rico Ioani having the time to be, to, to get himself to a, a good level as a 13 happened because I guess Leonard Brown and Goodhue have been injured for most of this four year cycle. So it's, yeah, it seems like it has been a, a few happy accidents that have made this team now. Yeah, correct. Although I will add that I, I will give it to Foster that Rico at thirteen was very much he pushed for that. Yeah, um, and also he was helped. He was helped out by the Blues needing uh, a midfielder as well. So Rico moving in was it was a far more um, manufactured um, situation. Um, but yeah, I, I will say just you pointed out uh, the Richie and Bowden um, combination. Uh, it it's been. I wouldn't say rocks and diamonds because it's it's been more diamonds than rocks this year. Uh, and I think from an interesting perspective, it was, it was fantastic at uh, in Auckland um, when the All Blacks played well up until the Irish game anyway, the best the best test of the year, uh, and then was completely hopeless at, at Twickenham. Um, and so I'm I wouldn't say I'm yet to be convinced because I think that obviously they're two fantastic players and and it. And everything, but it's just strange to me that this was a combination that still had these massive question marks over it four years ago in Japan, and it's sort of almost been persisted with kind of by default. You know, like they, they haven't tried 
anything else. And it's more it's more being done, you know, if you're a real cynic, you're saying that it's more being done so Bowdenbarrow doesn't get dropped. Because the moment he gets dropped, he'll leave. And, uh, you know, that's um, not something that New Zealand rugby wants. So I, I know it's a bit, a little bit of a conspiracy the- theory there, but uh, I think that had they had an eye on the future uh, more in the last couple of years, like Bowdoin Barrett might not even be in the team at all because you've got the likes of, obviously got McKenzie there, got the likes of Sean Stevenson um, as well, who played one test this year, but is sitting at home watching. And, you know, it's it's not a position where New Zealand uh, is often looking around for talent, you know. Sean, just from a South African perspective, I mean, yeah, changing your, I mean, I mean, all your props, your blindside flank, your inside center, like those are big positions when you're trying to face the Springboks and obviously their strengths. Um, do you, which of those um, players, like the the two props, well, maybe the four props, uh, Frizzell or Jordi Barrett, do you think is the most important for Saturday? Yeah, it's, <laughs> I, I think it would be stupid not to think that that the props would be important, especially considering what the books are doing at the moment. They're, we're in quite an interesting space. Um, like the props are largely, in inverted commas, like inexperienced um, as a whole. So it could be interesting. The thing is, is, is they've fronted up against the spring box already. They're pretty handy. So I don't think that there's anyone that's really shitting themselves. However, with the um, Springbok bench coming on against England and what they did, I think there's the everyone's been put on on high alert. I personally feel <clears throat> that that's a side that the blind side and twelve are are huge, because just because of exactly what you mentioned, just how valuable and how important they are in the game, because it's coming and it's coming hard from both sides, and they're both blind side and twelve have a massive massive role on attack and defense and Jordy has been brilliant at 12 I've I, the thing is is I I thought that he would get be getting more of a look in at 12 um early on this year I said that he'd play a majority of his rugby at 12 for the All Blacks this season and I don't think he's been changed when he hasn't been injured um so he's been good the thing is about him that I really like is he's got that foundation 12 game of his he's he's Jacked it up pretty quickly, considering his international experience at 12. He's got that foundation set up, like that carry run and everything. But when the opportunity arises for a kick pass or for him to put his sort of playmaker 10 cap on, he can do it relatively easily, um, that that transition. Um, and often you find with players, like they'll, they'll be one or the other. They can't really interchange very well between the two. Um, where you think like more of a play tw- playmaking 12, like he will do that carry and try and set up, but he doesn't really transition into that really well. Where I think Jordy does both very, very well. I still believe that the the weakness for the All Blacks, where the Springboks are going to have to target, will be the starting and the bench props and the midfield. Mm-hmm. Jamie, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, mate. So just a quick one. We obviously, we obviously lost Tyler there, but 
Right. Just on what Tala asked me, like I'm not sure what your thoughts are in terms of the the targeting space for mm. both the All Blacks and the Springboks. I I would agree with <clears throat> Blindside. I, I while Shannon Frizzell, um, for me, uh, has had a a really good season. Um, I'm yet to be convinced of his ability to sort of do it on a regular basis, and I think that's an area where where the box probably need to go for i there's a i don't really buy into the fact that the the all black midfield is sort of i think rico gets a lot of grief for his defensive capabilities that i don't particularly agree with uh so i i feel though that we're gonna see a different springbok team uh than the one that was at least one that's playing a different game because i don't think the springboks can do what they did against england uh to to the All Blacks, um, I think it'd be it'd be really foolish, uh, and I don't think anyone involved in the Springboks um, thinks that, thinks that way either. So I, I feel like there's going to be a lot more direct running. We're going to see a pretty healthy diet of Dialende and Geordie running at each other, and I feel like those two guys are just kind of going to cancel each other out. And if one of them yeah. can just get the edge just a, just a wee bit, and I think because of Geordie's offloading game. He's just got a little bit more. Like, don't get me wrong. I think I I, I rate Dylan. I think he's great. If, if if I had my way, he'd come and play in the NRL and play rugby league. Uh, but he, I I think that that's also if it makes sense, it's also an area where the All Blacks can target the spring Springboks. Yeah, um, I actually I'm one that has been quite not anti Rico Yuani, but I'm 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 always wanting a thirteen and a thirteen. And I was, uh, my nose was put out of joint when Joe Marchand went to the Blues and then they kept starting Rico at 13 instead of Joe, which freaked me out because I just thought that Marchand was a better 13. But that was more a case of uh, of prep and everything leading up to to this space. One thing I will say is Rico Ioane's defense up until this year has been shaky. This hmm. year, however, he is a lot tighter. Everything seems to have fallen in place and there were a lot of changes happening inside for him that maybe were, were affecting him but for me it's he he's there as an attacking weapon there, there's no doubt about it on attack he is by far probably one of the best 13s in the world bar none um it's the whole all-round game that has been a bit shaky which he is totally is totally put to bed this year because his tackle numbers have been good but i think his positional play has been a lot better which is directly related into his his tackle percentages but yeah, interesting call on 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 that twelve battle. That they are going to cancel each other out, and especially because I think both of them are going to have a moment in the game, or probably two moments where they where they win that battle. But it will be evenly spread. Um, on attack and specifically, well, not specifically, but on attack mostly, like around where where do you think the All Blacks are going to be setting that platform? You think they're going to be going, they're going to be doing wide, wide early, or they're going to try and put in those um, those attacking kicks quite early on just to kind of mess up the the Springbok defense um, and try and challenge them like, like they did with the probably the best 20 minutes of rugby I've ever seen in my life, maybe 20, 30 minutes where they just kicked the Springboks to death with absolute accuracy. Yeah, I, I feel it'll be probably more ball in hand. I mean, we are talking about a World Cup final here, so perhaps you know maybe I'm being a bit ambitious, thinking that it's going to be they're going to be running it from the start. But the All Blacks' success this year has 
definitely, definitely come from when they've dominated early. And dominating early means, you know, imposing your will on the opposition and just, you know, well, you saw what happened in Auckland. And I think that the safer way to do that is to, you know, make sure that everyone's getting a touch. Uh, guys are getting good carries, falling on their nose, and just sort of making sure that, um, that you know, the Springboks don't establish any kind of lead at all. I think that's that's really important because I think that if the All Blacks can get out to sort of, you know, 10-0, 13-0 like they did against the Irish, that's enough of an arm's length. You know, that's enough of of uh, a lead uh, that they can start thinking about putting the game to bed as like as early as mm. the first half, like they, like they did in Auckland. Um, and I think that's what England were trying to do last week, but England were trying to do it like a team from the 1990s where they thought that they could just boot the leather off the ball and that's all they had to do. Um, the All Blacks are better, are, are better than that and they're better at winning games um, in that in those circumstances than than that. So um, my my hope is for is for uh, for them to run it. Um, my hope is for them to establish a nice um, uh, uh, you know early lead uh, because mainly just from a working perspective, I want to be able to get my match report done um, as fast <laughs> as possible. <laughs> but, but but yeah, I think um, I think that, uh, and also I don't want to have to go through another um, uh, nail biting World Cup final. I can't do that again. I'm still traumatized from 2011. We're traumatized from quarter final and semi final, both one pointers against uh, against France and England. So we we're, we're stressing. We're with you, man. Just just make it make it happen. <laughs> Sean, of course. Sean, can you guys hear me? Got you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, I was just going to say, Jamie, that, yeah, I think for, I mean, we even had our, our biggest um, medical aid provider in South Africa just give us like extra like wellness points um, because they, they <laughs> said that they measured like the heart rates went all the way up basically in those two hours during the semifinal. So it's literally a health concern, this um, Rugby World Cup thing for us. Um, Jamie, just on that, you know, the, the game plan that you have, I mean, there's been... Well, it looks like the condition, the the weather forecast is um, predicting rain for Saturday. Um, I mean, look, New Zealand and rains there pretty much all winter. It seems like so. It is is it going to be a concern for you guys to try and do that sort of like more attacking um, game that you guys want to do? Well, firstly, I, I thought all your medical professionals were with the Springboks and running on the field because there seems to be about 100. <laughs> you all um, shots fired so, early. Nice. Second, secondly, um, you're being a little bit unkind to New Zealand weather. Um, in Auckland, it doesn't it rain so much. The rest of the country, it does. But uh, yeah, I, I don't I don't think it's going to be that much of an issue. Um, the All Blacks play plenty of games in the rain where they score a bunch of tries and they've played plenty of games in the sun where they haven't. Um, I, I just, I think it just goes back to what I was talking about before. It's like how they can control the tempo of the game starting up, you know, like it's, it's not, it's obviously not an exposed stadium. There's not going to be like a massive wind advantage or anything like that. Uh, so I, I don't really, I think it's just because that, that semifinal, as soon as the clouds started gathering, everyone just presumed it was going to turn into a kick fest, and that's exactly what happened. But I don't think with with the All Blacks and the Springboks you're going to see that. Maybe you might have like back in the 1970s, uh, but those they aren't those two teams anymore. Like, why would you if they're the Springboks anyway? Like, they've got so many good backs that are going to need to score tries in order to beat um, this All Black team, which they can, you know. But if the if the I feel like if the Springboks are going to win, it's going to be a high scoring game. 
Yeah, um, Jacques Nineau said um, after Saturday's game that he believes it, it, the Springboks will need, what, 35 points to beat the All Blacks. So that, I guess, does indicate that they're going to be trying to, you know, be a bit more expansive or try to get uh, tries as many uh, as much as possible. Um, Jamie, just taking a, a step back to the quarterfinal, um, the way that the All Blacks beat Ireland, and, and I think you said, uh, said it out well in terms of getting that lead and then um, sort of setting their stall in defence, and it was a massive defensive effort from the All Blacks. But I think just first turning on how they got to the lead, I mean, I think there's been a big change with the All Blacks with, um, when, since Joe Schmidt has come, and his influence has been quite clear with those first phase um, attacking moves that the All Blacks now seem to have. Like, yeah, it seems like the All Blacks are now probably the best team in the world in sort of those first phase attacks where, I mean, this it wasn't maybe as much of a strength before maybe, or, you know, it was one of the threats, but now it just seems like something that I'm sure the Springboks are trying to think and plan for, like what kind of line-out strike moves or scrum strike moves that the All Blacks could um, conjure up. Yeah, well, I mean, they've definitely got better at it because they've they've gotten better at everything since um, <laughs> since Joe Schmidt's come in uh, because they were a horrible team to watch. Uh, it, it pains me to say that, but just you know, the All Blacks were just they weren't just bad and losing games; they weren't even really that good to watch um, at all. So uh, you're right; you're you're 100 right about that first phase and how key it is, uh, how it's going to set up what what's going to happen next. I mentioned rugby league um, before, but the and I understand you know you guys don't have rugby league where you're from, but the influence of it in coaching and in the way that guys play is really really evident. Like they're really drawing very close together uh, as codes, and it's in in league it's always been about you know if you can get your first tackle going forward and you're falling on your nose, you know you're the one who's in control for the rest of the set. And it's and rugby union is coming very much like that as well. You know if you can put a guy through a half gap and he can get the ball out of the ruck in half a second, you've, you're in control of everything. If it's, if it goes back the other way, if he gets put on his back, then you're probably looking at kicking like already. And so I think that the identification of being able to get those short passes going, you know, hitting those, those A, B channels and making sure that you're getting guys walking backwards as the ball's coming out of the ruck, is absolutely crucial. And then you can start to run, you you know, your nifty little moves and, you know, put that icing on the cake, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And I think that's quite true. Like it's almost also like, but like the NFL, like if you don't make your sort of, you get over the advantage line to make your 10 meters after two, three phases, then yeah, you have to punt the ball basically away. That seems like how most teams are being set up now. And yeah, I think it's, and what New Zealand's done well now is their kicking game is actually really good. And maybe I think that was a bit of their fault in the in the game against France and Paris in the opening game is that maybe they were drawn into kicking too much or the kicking was a bit inaccurate. But yeah, it seems like now as a attacking weapon and as a, a defensive weapon to bail them out of tough situations, like with Aaron Smith, Bowden, Geordie, and Richie Monga, you have the kickers to get you out of tough places if the attack isn't, you know, making the meters necessary. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I'd also give France a lot of credit in that game because it felt like they were being, they, they'd figured out everything the All Blacks were trying to do in terms of kicking. Uh, and, and it's funny that game because like the All Blacks got off to 
the best start anyone's ever got off to in a, in a World Cup opening match. They scored a mm. try in like within the first two minutes. Uh, but even then, you know, I was because uh, I was at that game as well. I walked out there convinced that France were going to win the World Cup because I was like, well, they just comfortably beat the All Blacks and actually didn't even really play that well. So imagine what it's going to be like when they do play well. And then, um, you know, they come up against the Springboks and quarterfinal. And they played played really well and, st- and lost. So it's 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 funny like that you you kind of mention the kicking and stuff because it's something that we don't really haven't really had to take into account much you know it's something that all blacks fans really kind of take for granted uh it's just like someone's going to know what to do know when to kick it and then all of a sudden at the start of the tournament it's like oh my god you know no one knows where or when to kick the ball anymore and we're doing it like a hundred times a game and it's for as all blacks you know people who follow the all blacks it was quite a new experience for us to have to analyze kicking. So, um, yeah, it's, but it, it feels like it's coming right. And going back to the Richie and Bowden axis, I think that what they probably took out of that first game was that, you know, they were probably doing too much of one role, both of them, and they'll, they'll probably just sorted out the the, the workshare agreement on, on that one, I think. I love that idea of the workshare agreement. Um, and then... Maybe, James, just talk about the impact of um, James Ryan, because I think especially with um, how the All Blacks have become a lot more, um, a lot better in, in in at the game line, a lot better in the set piece. Um, you know, we know how brilliant he was with the Crusaders with, you know, their rolling walls and, 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 and everything like that too. Like in that Island game, especially, I think it helped by just not giving the Island really many opportunities to get over the advantage line, apart if they tried to go to, like, went wide. And, you know, it, it really brought out the strengths of the likes of Sam Kane and Adi Sevilla, the the way that that um, James Ryan seems to be have coached the, the team now. Yeah, uh, firstly, it's Jason Ryan. James Ryan was uh, uh, locked. Yeah. Um, I, I, no, that's all, <laughs> that's all good. Um, Apologies. But, no, it's all right. Uh, so, yeah, he's definitely had a, an influence um, on the All Blacks, especially the uh, obviously the the forwards and stuff. And also, he's he's brought uh, in a broader sense a bit more of the what we expect of the All Blacks identity uh, to be. Uh, the way he comes across in the media, the fact that he's like a club rugby battler who has you know like a big cauliflower ears and. He looks like the sort of guy who's going to just absolutely thrash the All Black forwards at training. Like, I think just the way he looks and talks has uh, already got people kind of believing in the All Blacks again. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I just on his uh, influence in the forwards, though. I mean, I think that as a as a complete body of work, there's there have still been some ups and downs. I mean, this was this he was still you know, in the in in the coaching box when the All Blacks got pushed around by the Pumas last year in Christchurch. Uh and then also, you know, was part of a, a real disaster last year at Twickenham um when they uh ended up drawing that game against uh, an England team they should have put to bed, you know, long before uh they gave him a sniff at the end there. And then again, um for all the bluster and talk about, you know, passion and fire in the belly and, and all of that, the All Blacks went out and got whipped by the Springboks at Twickenham again um, this year. So, like, don't get me wrong. I think he's a good coach and it's great and everything, but I think that he, he needs a, a better assessment, like, probably a year down the track once Scott Robertson um, comes in. And he has to – he he's 
he uh, will have to be able to bring, you know, have more of a role picking the team because he's still he's still coaching someone else's team, if you know what I mean. Like he hasn't, uh, he he probably hasn't brought through the players that he specifically wants. You know, like this is this was a, a coaching group that didn't include Ryan and Joe Schmidt um, up until halfway through last year, uh, and so they're sort of making do with the hand they've been dealt. And then next year you're going to see a lot, probably a, a lot more of a change in the in this the more technical aspects of the way the All Blacks played. And you know, for all we know, they might be world champions <laughs> at that stage. So it's going to be an interesting time. Yeah, not a bad platform to work off from. Um, then Jamie, what kind of what what are the weaknesses, if there are any, that you think the All Blacks will be targeting for, um, in the Springboks? Um, in the Springboks, I think it would probably I would I'd probably go back to that Auckland uh, game, uh, and the fact that the the team that was picked and also Alice Park last year uh, that they just got their selections wrong. I don't I still don't really know what they were up to in that Auckland game uh, in terms of just swapping them. Pardon me, swapping their bench around with their. Uh, their starting players and then leaving it like sort of way too late to bring them on because by the time Malcolm Marks came on and played really, really well and, and the rest of those guys, uh, the game was gone. Um, so I think that it's going to come down to, you know, Jacques Nenibar and, and Rossi not trying to get too crazy with, with what they're doing because I think that, and you saw it last year as well um, at Alice Park, you know, they picked, uh, was it Joseph Dweber? Is that, do I get that mm -hmm. right? Yeah. At Hooker. And the All Blacks just pinched him out of the game, like straight away. They they immediately knew that this was the weak point in the in the Springbok um, team. Their, their set piece went to, you know, was just completely, um, uh, totally exposed. And, and that's what they went for. So it's just about making sure that there's no little, you know, just one guy who's like, hey, are they trying to do something funny with you? Have they brought you on so they can then bring on someone after half an hour or something like that? Because if you're going to do that against the All Blacks, they're going to make you pay for it really badly. Um, and it's what England should have done last week, you know, like they, they should have figured out really quickly that like, okay, there's a few guys who are off the game tonight and we're going to really just target those specific guys. I know it's not much of an answer to say like, well, they just have to, you know, pick on some people. But I, I feel like that's what, uh, given given that the, the Springboks have just come through two one-point wins and, and, you know, really, really massively both physically and emotionally tough, you know, games that, you know, yes, they have won. Um, it's about making sure that they don't get any sort of psychological advantage right from the start. Yeah, Sean, I think that's quite fair. And I'm sure Jamie and all black supporters are hoping that Bongi Manambi said what Tom Curry accused him of saying then. <laughs> yeah, or not. Um, it's gonna be interesting. Like it's no no secret that I'm not happy that we don't have a um a big bulky hooker as backup. Um so if Bongi doesn't play, we're in a whole whack of shit. And I mean, that's not speaking badly of Dion Free, who's been outstanding, but it changes everything. It changes everything. It changes our, our approach. It changes our who's carrying a bulk of the game and, and our bench and all that sort of jazz. So 
Yeah, but I think that's bang on. If we if we're gonna decide if we're gonna look at the at the final, we'll probably look at the Springboks probably being kind of the weakest out of the two, and that's just purely coming off the two uh, the two knockout games that they played, how um, physical they've been, how tight they were, like emotionally draining, physically draining, and everything. And the All Blacks are totally going to be targeting. They're gonna they're gonna and the the one thing, Jamie, you bang on like it's how quickly you pick it up in game and how quickly you address it and squeeze the pressure. And the All Blacks are the best at that they will if there's a weakness if they find something if they see someone that's possibly off their game um and they'll be able to pick it up quickly they've played us enough times um you know we kind of know what everyone's capable of and then they're just going to just kind of use that as the as the arrowhead and just try and break that seam and then you know when the all blacks are have have good ball and front foot ball um they're there's probably no team in the world that attacks better than them and and attacks more accurately than they do so so yeah that's a, a very very key point that yeah and i think also ball and play time might be also a big indicator <clears throat> excuse me as who wins this um, game because i think what the all blacks did really well um in july in in, in mount smart was they made sure that the Springboks were constantly just making tackles and constantly didn't really have any breaks. And it seemed like they were really targeting um, Francois Herber around the rucks with Aaron Smith just making sure that he passes to the person where France was trying to um, cover defensively and making him run because he's basically sets up the Springbok defense. And they, I think they also were really good at running in Lukanya Um. I think they maybe sensed that Um is maybe either carrying an injury or not playing at his best. And it was quite clear that, like, in the way that they were setting up the attack, they were just trying to just suck in the the Springbok rush defense as much as possible. And then when they launched out wide, they launched and obviously to to devastating results. Like, yeah, so if it is a high ball in play time, especially given that the Springboks have, you know, survived by the skin of their teeth <laughs> the last two weekends, it, it wouldn't bode well, I think, for, for Springbok fans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you you mentioned that. <clears throat> Keep going back to that Mount Smart game, and uh, I think that it you you can't get a better uh, example of the All Blacks being as ruthless uh, as that um, anywhere else. And and you're right. And uh, again, I, you know, it's kind of like a touch rugby thing. I don't know if you guys play that over there, but um, you just pick on the guy who's always yeah. running backwards. <laughs> you find you find the guy who's who's tired. And yeah. and that's what they do, and they can they can figure it out. And and the other thing is, they were very good, or have been very good in the past, at least, at um, getting tight forwards standing next to each other, because that's who you want to be sending your 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 Will Jordans and at, you know, so he can just go through and get get another try. Because that's that's the other thing I haven't haven't mentioned yet is you can, you probably you might as well just make the scoreboard seven 0 already to the All Blacks because Will Jordan's going to score a try, uh, <laughs> and. Uh, He's not. Uh, he's not gonna. He he can't be the leading try scorer in World Cup history for yeah, tournaments. Right, yeah. He's gonna have to just stay with everyone and just become yeah. like make a team there. Yeah, actually, fair enough. Yeah, from a from an All Black <laughs> and a Springbok point of view, I don't I don't want him to beat John Alomu's record, and I'm sure you don't want him to beat Brian Habana's record as well, and I guess Julian Severe as well. But um, yeah, I, I I think it's he's just been so good. I haven't seen anyone have this sort of strike rate since Christian Cullen. So 
yeah, it's uh, good luck to him as marking up. <laughs> yeah, look, he's he's become inevitable in attack, and yeah, he Sean, I think he's only scored two and five against the box, right? So that gives maybe a little bit of hope. Yeah, so I was actually going to say I can't remember where I saw it, but we I think we keep him out the best. <laughs> As, is, as uh, it is, seems like we usually do with New Zealand star wingers, wingers. yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and on that, Jamie, um, it's almost certainly going to be Ches and Colby defending up against him. But I don't think it's that one-on-one defense. It's more uh, that cover and that scramble defense that you need to that you need to be able to do because you're once he makes a break, it's uh, tickets. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's he's, he's uh, that's why he's <clears throat> scoring so many tries because they don't. Uh, he he's not relying on being on the end of a chain to get the ball. He's he's up the middle of the field. You know, it's, he's he's scoring off turnovers. He's he's scoring off um, you know half breaks by tight forwards and and things like that because he's so quick to get there and and take those passes and offloads. And I think um, the one thing that was quite surprising about that Irish uh, game is the try that he did get in there, which is a beautiful try. Uh, but it's just that everything else in that game was just was, every inch was just taking so much to gain, you know, like oh, Ireland mm-hmm. were just making the All Blacks pay for everything. And then that try just came out of nowhere. It was like something you see on a, you know, the sort of gap that it opened up on a club rugby field. And it was just crazy that just like that one little half second where someone was off in that Irish, I think it was Van der Fleer who missed that, missed that tackle on Moana. Yeah. And yeah. then all of a sudden that's, and that was the game right there. Jamie, which of the two recent um, Springbok All Blacks games do you think carries or almost matters the most or maybe carries the most, you know, psychological damage, if you want to call it that? Or do you think that both games from July and August just really don't matter um, right now in the final? I think the last time they met certainly matters to the All Blacks uh, because if there's one theme that has been recurring over the last, three years, uh, four years rather, uh, has been the unfortunate amount of unwanted history that the All Blacks have created. You know, they've lost test matches to Ireland and New Zealand. They've lost test matches to Argentina for the first time. They've lost test matches to Argentina at home um, last year. And then they created a record in that game at Twickenham by uh, losing by the largest margin. And actually following that up, uh, that's actually the first time in history the All Blacks have been beaten by 13 points or more uh, in two test matches in a row. Mm-hmm. That's kind of, sort of flown up the radar. It's actually also, if you really want to be a, have a good transporting stat, it's the first time the All Blacks have ever lost two games in a row in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, so there, there's just all this, like I said, unwanted history that they're trying to like put right. And I think that that Twickenham game, while, like we said, we can make a whole lot of excuses for it and and really from a even like i think south african fans can say well it probably didn't matter in the in the end result uh but it's it's definitely something that would have hurt the all blacks quite a lot and they're, and they're going to want to put right um i think the july game like it was good you know good for the all blacks it sort of put them in the right you know that it'd be something that they'd be wanting to strive for to play like that first 20 minutes again something to aim for um but i think the the more like making up for for the for the mistakes that they made at Twickenham is going to be driving them on harder than that. 
Okay, I think let's maybe wrap up on this for you, Jamie, and Siad. This being a New Zealand pod, we'll give you the last word here. But sort of uh, tell us what the almost the perfect eighty minutes is for the for New Zealand and how you think it it would go um, for them and the things like you'd want to see them do um, in order to win the game. Ah, well, just um, do what they did at Albany and. 2017. Oh, sorry. To <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> you know, because then, like yeah. I, like I said, you know, it'll be over at halftime. I mean, what I want to see is a, a, a like as a as a rugby lover, I, I want to see a good game. You know, it's it's hard for me to say, hey, yeah, I want the scrum to, um, you know, be perfect and the line to be perfect, and they score a try in the first couple of minutes and immediately have the Springboks on the back foot. Um, and, you know, like I said, establish that lead and just kind of kind of like a boxing match, just score points from then on, make sure you're ahead at the end of each round. Um, I mean, I guess from a coaching point of view and from a playing point of view, that's exactly what the All Blacks want to be doing. But, you know, I going right back to the start, you know, this is a special relationship that our, our two countries have, our two teams have, and it deserves a good game. And also, given the amount of shit we've had to hear, from the English, from the Irish, and even though I can't understand them, I presume the French as well, about the way that they play rugby is supposedly better than the way we do it. Um, <laughs> I'd just like to have see a, see a game where there's 11 tries, uh, it goes right down to the wire, and um, it gets held up immediately as this is one of the greatest games ever played because the Springboks and the Orbits are capable of that. They they are they do, and and our us as the rugby nations that we are, we should be the ones leading the conversation about what good rugby is because we're the best at it. Actually, Jamie, maybe a, a, another final final question is you've and I should have mentioned this at the start. You've written a great book, The Hundred Years War, and I'm I would love to actually get a chance to read it. Um, maybe after this World Cup, um, maybe just. Yeah, tell the tell the listeners about the book, maybe where they can get it and everything as well. Oh yeah, well thank you for that. Yeah, I I wrote um the Hundred Years War back in twenty twenty one, which was the hundredth anniversary of the first time the All Blacks and the Springboks met. It was also the year that the hundredth Test match uh, was played. Although I do understand there are a few people in South Africa that still regard the nineteen eighty six Test uh, as, games as Test matches. Um, so that's a uh, discussion we can have to have um but yeah it's it's about um the history of the the two sides obviously there's a lot more to it than rugby i don't think i'm telling you guys anything you don't know um there um as a new zealander it's a massive part of our social history i wrote it from the perspective of new zealander uh who grew up um uh you know as the springboks came out of of isolation and uh you know the biggest first big major tournament that i uh, was able to see was the 1995 World Cup and it's something that just left a massive mark on me it's, it's one of the reasons why I fell in love with the game why I'm doing this for a job and why I'm sitting here talking to you right now uh, and so you know it's something that I really really want to do <clears throat> I'm really really proud of it um, and uh, yeah you can uh, order online just look me up um, just google me go to my website jamiewallrugby.com um, there'll be links on there where you can uh, get yourself a copy and um yeah, we'll be able to ship some to South Africa for you. 
No, um, we would definitely do that. And yeah, we'll definitely Google you as well. <laughs> Thanks so much, Jamie. Thanks for your insights and your yeah, your analysis on the on on the All Blacks. And yeah, we're looking forward to a massive game happening on Saturday. Thank you guys. I really appreciate it. It's awesome to be talking rugby with South Africans. Um, I'm not just pumping up your tires by saying, you know, how special this is. Uh, you know, we, I, I know full well that we're all going to really enjoy this game. There, there has to be a winner, it has to be a loser, but at the end of the day, we're all still going to be friends. Uh, and, uh, and mostly, most importantly, like there's a lot of respect that goes, goes between us. So thank you very much. Thank you. All good, man.